Welcome back to the listener's commentary on the book of Acts, and welcome to the final chapter of the book of Acts. We, in this recording, will be looking at Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 31. We arrive at the the end, the final chapter, not really the end of the story or the end of Paul's life, but the end of the book of Acts here on the listener's commentary with Acts chapter 28. And to review where we're at in the story, Paul, along with Luke and another fellow Christian leader of his traveling companion, Aristarchus, have been aboard a ship sailing to, well, supposed to be going to Rome. It was an Alexandrian grain ship, uh, and Paul is being guarded by a centurion named Julius, and there's some other prisoners and other soldiers on the ship, plus the crew, plus a whole bunch of other people. We've learned that there's 276 people aboard this ship. And they got stuck in a massive storm uh, late in the sailing season on the Mediterranean Sea. And they have been adrift in the storm now for two weeks. And at the end of chapter 27, they began to recognize they were uh, approaching some land. And they shipwrecked on an island unrecognizable to them. They weren't sure exactly which island it was and where they were at. Uh, But they shipwrecked on this island at the end of chapter 27. And that's where chapter 28 picks up. Chapter 28 says, When they had been brought safely through, then we found that the island was called Malta. And so they shipwrecked on this small island of Malta in the middle of the Mediterranean after spending 14 days at sea in a massive storm, being reassured by the Apostle Paul that no one would die, that God had assured him of that. And sure enough, they all made it to land safely. Now, the island of Malta is a small island about 55 or 60 miles south of Sicily, about 150, 180 miles north of North Africa. And it's um, about 18 miles long, eight miles wide. And so it's a small little island out there. And actually, the, the name of the island derives from a Phoenician word that meant refuge. And for Paul and his team, it surely was that. It was a refuge. And so there they are on the island of Malta. And Acts 28 says in verse 2 that the natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for they kindled a fire and took us all in because of the rain that had started and because of the cold. So it's been a storm. It's raining, it's winter, so it's cold, uh, and the natives showed them extraordinary kindness, built a fire, got them all taken care of, and warmed up. Now, when we hear the word natives, I don't know what picture comes to mind, but what the word means here is the inhabitants. The the Greek word is barbaroi, from which we get our word barbarian, but it referred to non-Greek-speaking peoples. That's what the word referred to originally. And so what this actually means is, we're just talking about the local inhabitants of the island. Perhaps they only spoke a little bit of Greek. It wasn't their native language. Uh, The original inhabitants of the island of Malta were from uh, Phoenician and Punic descent. And so Uh, That was more their heritage, and that's what this word refers to. So it's the local inhabitants of the island. Now they're under Roman rule, and so it's not like, right, it's, we're, 
primitive natives of some sort were under Roman rule and all of that on this island. Um, and the natives showed us extraordinary kindness. And that word translated kindness is actually the word we get the English word philanthropy from. And it just means a willingness to help or kindness as is translated here. It's this idea of being willing to help people. And so the locals there, here comes a ship crashing on their island in the morning. It's cold and rainy. They were willing to help and they did so by kindling a fire, taking them in and uh, giving them at least some warmth and things they needed in the midst of the shipwreck. Now, Paul is going to help with stoking the fire. So verse 3, he he goes out and he's gathering up some twigs and some sticks to throw on the fire. And here's what happens. Verse 3, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on a the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself onto his hand. And so Paul gets bit by a snake and the snake is actually fastened onto his hand for a little bit. And verse 4 goes on and says how the locals respond. Verse 4 says, When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. A couple things to just sort out in verses 3 and 4. The first is the, the idea of viper, which usually means poisonous snake. And the locals seem to assume that uh, it's a poisonous snake and that Paul is is going to, in fact, it's going to go on and say they expect him to swell up and fall down dead. Now, we here's the problem. There are no poisonous snakes on the island of Malta today. That could simply be because the island of Malta is now very populated. It is no longer densely forested as it was in the first century. And so it's quite possible that if there were poisonous snakes, you know, the, this particular type of snake has uh, gone out of existence on the island since the first century. That's possible. The other possibility is that uh, people in the first century had this idea that all snakes were poisonous. In fact, you see this in a contemporary of Paul Pliny uh, in his writings, basically saying that and assuming that all snakes were poisonous. And so we don't know. We don't know for sure if they just assumed it was a poisonous snake or if indeed there used to be poisonous snakes on the island. Either way, the reaction of the local people is uh, that they're sure that Paul is getting what he deserves. And even though he has survived the sea and the shipwreck, justice, they say, has not allowed him to live. And the word translated justice, we need to Make sure we hear that with Roman ears, Greek and Roman ears. That refers to the goddess, Justice, who's one of the daughters of Zeus. And so the local inhabitants of the island are assuming that she now is going to take out Paul and bring justice to the situation because the sea wasn't able to get him. Uh, however, verse 5, here's what happened. Paul shook the creature off from his hand into the fire and suffered no harm. Now, they were all expecting that he was going to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they waited a long time, keeping an eye on him and nothing unusual happened to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. And so uh, first, they're sure that he was going to be executed by the goddess justice through this snake. But 
Uh, here's Paul standing around the fire, warming his hands. Nothing happens. And so now they begin to think, well, maybe he's actually a god. And that's the reason the sea didn't get him. That's the reason the snake didn't get him or anything like that. The story continues in verse 7 of chapter 28. Now, in the neighboring parts of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us warmly for three days. So, the chief man of the island, whose name is Publius, which is a Latin name, and it's probably, the reason it's used in this particular form is probably because he's not a Latin person originally, but he's risen to prominence and he's been given a Latin name to go along with his Roman authority. And he is the leading man or the chief man of the island. And we have plenty of inscriptions from the island of Malta from this time period that that was actually the title of the person. It's not just a generic phrase that Luke just didn't know what to call him. That was literally the title for the ruler of the island chief man of the island or leading man of the island. And so here he is, the leading man of the island. His name is Publius. He has a near where they shipwrecked. He has an estate near there, lands belonging to him, some sort of estate. So because of the high esteem now given to Paul, a god, if you will, he welcomes Paul, Luke, Aristarchus, probably Julius, how many of the 276? It's hard to imagine that he could host all 276 persons, but Luke simply says us. And so he welcomes them and shows them hospitality for three days. He took care of them and entertained them and provided food for them and gave them extreme hospitality for three days. And during that time, it became known that Publius's father was quite sick. Take a look at verse 8. It says, And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with a recurring fever and dysentery. Dysentery is a general word that refers to a number of intestinal disorders characterized by abdominal pain, severe diarrhea, and things like that. This and that combined with a recurring fever suggests maybe even this idea of Malta fever. We don't know for sure, but Malta fever is had a long history until a vaccine was developed in uh, 1887, and it turned out that Malta fever was actually caused by an organism in the milk of their goats. And it could last on average up to four months. Some cases were known to have lasted several years. So we don't know for sure. We just know there is a, a documented history of recurring fever and dysentery on the island of Malta. And Publius's father is being afflicted by something like this. Uh, so Paul, verse 8, went in to see him. And after he prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. And so Paul uh, heals Publius's father. Well, after that happened, Paul's reputation spreads throughout the island. And so look at verse 9. After this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and being cured. And they also showed us many honors. And when we were about to set sail, they supplied us with everything we need. The reality is they're going to end up spending the entire winter on this island. We'll learn in the next verse that it's three months. And so they spend several months on the island. But while they're there on the island, 
people who are sick are coming to Paul or family members are bringing sick people to Paul. Paul is uh, healing them and people are being cured. And so Paul is shipwrecked on the island of Malta, but as far as he's concerned, it's an opportunity for ministry, and he's performing uh, miracles and healing. You can imagine him teaching and talking with Luke and Aristarchus, Julius, the centurion who's watching him, other soldiers, right? They're seeing all this, and you wonder what's going through their mind. But as far as Paul's concerned, it doesn't matter that he's shipwrecked on his way to Rome as a Roman prisoner. He's still on duty, and he is uh, carrying out ministry on the island of Malta. So much so that when verse 10 says, when they're about to set sail, they actually supplied them with everything they needed for their journey to Rome. Like they, they showed them such hospitality and there was such goodwill towards them that they give them food and whatever supplies they need to make sure they're going to make it safely to Rome. Now, verse 11 then tells us what happens from there. After three months, so they spend three months on the island, in other words, the winter season. After three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship, which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. So they spend the winter season on the island, and it's only been three months. And so it's actually still quite early in the sailing season. If we track the chronology, we know that the storm they got caught up in began sometime after the Day of Atonement, which happened in 59 on October 5th. So it's mid to late October when the storm hits. We know they spend two weeks uh, adrift at sea. And so by the time they shipwreck on the island, it's late October, early November. You go three months from there, you get November, December, January. So we're early February or something like that when this ship is about to set sail and they're going to uh, sail along with it. That means it's quite early in the sailing season. And yet, because they're close to Rome and they're close to land, they decide to strike out. In fact, this Alexandrian ship, which also is probably a grain ship, probably wants to get to Rome, deposit its cargo, return to Alexandria, and see if it can make another voyage during the season before the end of the season again. And so here it is sometime in February. Pliny actually says that um, if ships are going to stay close to shore, then they can begin their voyage after February 8th if they stay close to shore. And so we're somewhere in that time period and this ship is about ready to go. So they set sail on this Alexandrian ship. This ship had wintered at the island and it had the twin brothers for its figurehead. What are the twin brothers? Well, the twin brothers are Castor and Pollux, known perhaps to stargazers today uh, as the uh, constellation Gemini. Castor and Pollux were the twin sons of Zeus, and they were considered the patron saints of navigators. Supposedly, Neptune had offered them control of the seas and the waves, and so they were the the, the gods over the constellations and navigation, and thus it wasn't uh, uncommon for a ship to be adorned with these two 
as its figurehead. And so at the bow of the ship, it has the twin brothers, Castor and Pollux. And Luke notes that as an interesting little detail here. And they set sail on this ship. And so they sail north uh, up to Sicily and they put in, verse 12, at Syracuse, a solid day's voyage uh, north on the island of Sicily. They put in at Syracuse and notice we stayed there for three days. And so not sure the reason if they were waiting for the right wind or whatever, but they ended up staying in Syracuse for three days. And then verse 13, from there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium. Regium was literally on the toe of the boot of Italy. And thankfully, the following day, the proper wind sprang up. From there, we sailed around, arrived at Regium, and a day later, a south wind came up. And on the second day, we came to Patoli. Regium sat right on that toe, and the strait there between Italy and Sicily is somewhat uh, treacherous for navigation, so you got to have the right wind, and thankfully the next day a, a good positive wind came up, and they were able to sail then from Regium on to Patoli. And Patoli was one of the most important ports in Italy. In fact, up until the mid-first century, it was really the main port for Rome. About a decade prior to our time period here in the book of Acts, uh, Claudius, the emperor, had improved the port of Ostia, had uh, sort of created another port for the city of Rome. And so there were some new ports that could be used, but Petoli, it's really the main one, had been for most of the first century. And so it seems like this ship puts in here and presumably is going to unload its cargo here and then have it transported into the city of Rome. It's possible the people are going to get off the ship here and it's going to sail on. But more than likely, this is the stopping place for this Alexandrian grain ship uh, since Petoli was such a busy port for that. But what's important to know is Petole is still about 150 miles from Rome. And so there is a good stretch of land that has to be covered in order to get to Rome. And so Paul and his friends, as well as Julius, the soldiers, and probably the other prisoners, are going to make this final trip all together over land uh, along the Appian Way, one of the most famous roads through Italy in the first century. Now, when they arrive at Petoli, notice what Luke tells us in verse 14. There, we found some brothers and sisters and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And that is how we came to Rome. So notice there is a church of some sort there in the city of Petoli. And, and Paul and Luke and Aristarchus managed to make contact with that church there. And they were invited to stay with them. And probably it it would include Julius as well as the other soldiers and perhaps the other prisoners as well, that they are now being blessed by Christian hospitality in the city of Petoli. And they stayed with them for seven days. Now, this is interesting because they don't have to wait for, you know, a, another ship. They're going to make the rest of the journey on land. They can leave any time, but perhaps because just timing, fatigue, needing to restock supplies for the multiple days journey into Rome, uh, they decide, let's just chill here in Petoli for a little bit. And so they stay with them for seven days. And you have to wonder what's really going through Julius's mind. He's been with Paul now for several months. He's seen Paul and his courage on the ship. He's listened to Paul 
uh, speak and seen him pray. He's watched him perform miracles on the island of Malta. And you just wonder what's going through Julius's mind, who has been entrusted with this prisoner, who believes that uh, there is this man named Jesus, who the Romans killed, but he is actually alive. You just wonder what kind of conversation and how it's all gone on. But there they are in Patoli for a week, staying with the brothers and sisters, being cared for by them. And Luke ends verse 14 by saying, and thus we came to Rome, or in this way we came to Rome. And what what Luke seems to be saying is not just, I think, we finally made it, then we came to Rome. I don't think he's saying quite then, because that's not what the word means. It means in this way. That is how. That's why it's translated that way here. It means in this way. And I think in view of what follows, what Luke is getting at is, here's Paul traveling to Rome, the heart of empire, as a prisoner of the state, and yet he is being welcomed by the brothers and sisters in Italy, and he's staying with them for seven days. So they're not going to reject him. They're not going to treat him with shame because of his dishonor as being a prisoner. Paul doesn't know these people face to face, but about three years earlier, he had sent a letter to the church at Rome, right? And so they've received that. They know who Paul is. There is some sort of relational connection with at least some people in Rome. And Paul doesn't know what kind of welcome he's going to get. In an honor and shame culture such as theirs, he is arriving in a dishonorable social state. And yet he is being welcomed by the brothers and sisters on the outskirts of Rome. And we'll see in the following verse, being welcomed by the brothers and sisters from Rome. And this is how we came to Rome. And I think that's the significance of that phrase. Look at verse 15 and it says, And from there, brothers and sisters, when they heard about us, came as far as the market of Appius and the three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. That speaks of Paul wondering what kind of welcome he's going to get, what kind of greeting he's, he's going to receive from the Christians in Rome, and they are coming from Rome to the market of Appius and to the three inns to meet him. The market of Appius is about 40 miles away from Rome. Three inns is about 30 miles from Rome. And so they're traveling out of the city of Rome all the way to these stopping points along the journey to Rome to meet Paul and welcome him. And Paul is being escorted into the city of Rome by his fellow Christians. And so Paul, when he saw them, thanked God and took courage. Verse 16 goes on and says, And when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Just to clarify, it doesn't mean Paul is staying all alone. The phrase stay by himself actually means stay in his own uh, rented quarters. And so he's allowed to uh, stay in his own quarters that he has to rent. And it's quite possible that Luke and Aristarchus stayed with him. Probably at least Aristarchus, particularly because when Paul writes the letters he does from this Roman imprisonment, he refers to Aristarchus as his fellow prisoner. So more than likely, Aristarchus is staying with Paul in Paul's own rented quarters. Paul is there with the soldier who is guarding him. The soldier who is guarding him would be the soldier 
in shifts that was chained to Paul. So Paul is going to be wearing a chain. There's going to be a soldier that is going to be chained to him. But other than that, it's it's fairly light custody. And it seems as if, uh, according to Roman custodial matters, this is like light military custody. And we wonder why that's the case. Perhaps it's because Julius has gained a fond respect for Paul when he delivered him there. That's what was his recommendation. Maybe that combined with the documents sent from Festus in Judea make it clear that Paul's case is pretty, uh, really, there's nothing significant there. And so, for whatever reason, Paul is allowed to stay in light military custody. In fact, we know from Philippians, one of the letters written during this time period, that Paul says, As a result of his imprisonment, the entire Praetorian Guard has heard about Jesus. And so reports and rumors from Paul through his, the soldier chained to him back to the barracks uh, are, are being circulated around to all the soldiers. And the Praetorian barracks are sort of on the outskirts of the city, on the eastern edge of it. And so perhaps Paul's rented quarters were there close to the barracks, and that's where he is staying. Now, after three days of being there, verse 17, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews, and when they came together, he began saying to them. Before we read what he says, Paul calls the Jews together, gets settled in three days. He calls the the heads of the Jewish community in the city of Rome, and he really just wants to make contact and present his situation to them. And in some regards, this is remarkable. Like, Paul has always begun with the Jews, and it doesn't matter how badly he has been treated by the Jews, he still begins with the Jews. And that's a beautiful testimony to what he himself says in the letter to the Romans themselves, where he says that my heart's desire and my my prayer for them is for their salvation. And he, he didn't give up on them, and he maintained his connection with them. And so here he is in Rome, as a result of his imprisonment that came about because he was mobbed in the temple and almost beaten to death, here he is in Rome and he begins once again with the Jews. And so he calls them to himself to make uh, contact with them. And this is what he says. He says, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was handed over to the Romans as a prisoner from Jerusalem. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no grounds for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, since I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. And so Paul calls these people to himself. This is Luke's summary of what he said to them. And really, it's just, look, I'm here. I'm here because the Jews in Jerusalem, uh, they essentially handed me over to the Romans, even though the Romans found nothing to put me to death. The Jews objected to that, and I was put in a difficult spot, and I was forced to appeal to Caesar. But I don't have anything against my people, against my nation. In fact, I can imagine him holding up his hand with this chain on it at this moment. I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. And this has been the focal point and the way Paul has summarized the issue really over and over again since he was first mobbed in the temple two and a half years ago. That he sees the issue as the hope of Israel being culminated in Jesus. He believes that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the Jewish scriptures spoke of and that the Jewish people longed for. 
and he's in chain for that. And this is the same way Paul really presents his imprisonment in his letters written from this time period, that he's, he's not a prisoner of Rome. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that's who he belongs to. And so he's in chains for the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor has any of the brothers come here and reported or spoken anything about you. So we haven't gotten any word, either in person or by letters, from the Jews of Judea. But, they go on in verse 22, We desire to hear from you what your views are. For regarding this sect, that's an interesting word, it is known to us that it's spoken against everywhere. And so these Jewish leaders here in Rome view Christianity as a sect, which though that puts it into sort of a branch or an offshoot, it's a branch or an offshoot of Judaism. They see it as a sect of Judaism in some regards, and they say it's spoken against everywhere. So they want to hear Paul more on this. They want to understand his views. They want to discuss it more. And obviously Paul has a big reputation as a part of this sect. And so they arranged a time. Look at verse 23. When they had set a day, so they scheduled a day for them to come and spend more time with Paul. And so when they had set a day for Paul, people came to him at his lodging in large numbers. So some Jewish people come to him in large numbers to his apartment. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets, from morning till evening. So they spend an entire day together, and Paul is trying to help them see that uh, Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's the Messiah who's bringing in God's very own kingdom. He's reasoning from the law. He's reasoning from the prophets. He's laying out his case for why he believes Jesus is the fulfillment of the hope of Israel. Well, how did it go? Verse 24, some were being persuaded by the things that Paul said, but others would not believe. And so I can imagine this is like probably your standard Jewish rabbinic dialogue, right? This back and forth, back and forth, tensions mounting, disagreements, disagreements between uh, some of the Jews who'd come to visit Paul. No, what Paul's saying makes sense. No, it doesn't make sense. And so some are believing and being persuaded by Paul. Others are not believing and verse 25, and when they disagreed with one another, they began leaving after Paul had said one final statement. And so they spent the whole day together. Now the Jews that came to listen to Paul are disagreeing with one another. And so Paul has a final word for them. This is what Paul says. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophets to your fathers saying, Go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing and will not understand. You will keep on seeing and will not perceive. For the hearts of this people have become insensitive, and with their ears they hardly hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. And so Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. It's Isaiah's commission, where God commissions Isaiah to go and preach to the Jews of his day, and God says, but they're not going to listen. They have eyes, and they can see, but they can't really see. They have ears, and they can hear, but they don't really listen and understand. They really don't want to get it. And so Isaiah, go and preach to, to the people, but they're not really going to listen to you. If they would, uh, they would return, and I would heal them. 
but they don't want to see. They don't want to hear. And Paul is taking that passage and basically saying, what was true about our fathers in Isaiah's day is true of you who will not believe in this day. The scriptures are clear. The truth is obvious, but your eyes are closed. Your ears are stopped up. You don't want to listen. You don't want to understand. And so Paul ends by saying in verse 28, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, to the nations. They will also listen. And make sure you hear that word listen in connection with all the listening words, all the hearing words in the quote from Isaiah. You'll keep on hearing and not understand. Uh, their ears have become uh, hard to hearing, right? They've, they've stopped up their ears. Well, not the Gentiles. The Gentiles are listening and they're responding. And so you who won't believe, your ears are plugged up and closed, but the nations, the Gentiles, they will listen. And so you need to know that this, this salvation from God is going to the nations. And then Luke gives just a little wrap up to the end of the book. Here is how the book of Acts ends. Verse 30. Now, Paul stayed two full years in his own rented lodging and welcomed all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things about the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. And the way this is worded, it seems to suggest that the Romans allowed Paul a remarkable amount of freedom. He welcomed anybody who would come to him. He was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching about Jesus. And it's this way that all the Praetorian Guard has heard about Jesus, right? They, they've sat there listening, being chained to Paul. They go back to the barracks and they tell their buddies in the barracks, this guy that I was just chained to for my entire shift, right? That he believes in this, this Jewish man named Jesus that was killed under one of our governors, actually rose from the dead. Can you believe it? And the word about Jesus has spread uh, throughout the Praetorian barracks, as well as to anybody that has come and listened to Paul. And so Paul spends two whole years in Rome, in his own rented lodging, as a prisoner of the state, but he's still preaching the kingdom of God. He's still uh, teaching about Jesus, and he's doing so with all openness and unhindered. He's freely speaking the gospel right in the heart of empire. And that's where the book of Acts ends. It ends with, with Paul in the heart of empire, in the, the city of Rome itself, preaching Jesus and the kingdom of God. And when we look at the whole flow of the book of Acts, we started in the city of Jerusalem, which is on the outskirts of empire. And from the Roman perspective is the backwaters of the empire way over there. And now we've moved in 30 years all the way to the heart of empire itself. And during these two full years that Paul spent there, he wrote four uh, letters that have become part of our New Testament. He wrote Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. It seems as if he wrote all three of those at the same time during his imprisonment and sent them at the same time. And they, they go to the area of Asia Minor. And so those three letters. And then he also wrote the letter to the Philippians during this, these two years that he was here as well. And what this wrap-up shows us, and when you put it with the fact that we know Paul wrote some letters during this time, what all of this shows us is that Paul preaches Jesus in the city of Rome. Paul may be a prisoner, but the gospel is not. In fact, Paul describes himself in those letters as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, not of Rome, but of Jesus. And he's going to serve Jesus even if he is locked up. And so here's Paul as a prisoner on a sea voyage, 
in a sea storm, shipwrecked on an island, and Paul is still on duty. Here's Paul, locked up in Rome, chained to a Roman guard. Paul is still on duty. Uh, Paul still does ministry. And so uh, Paul may be a prisoner, but the gospel is not. And so Paul preached freely to anybody who would come to him. Paul preached freely to the Jews. Paul preached freely to anybody else who would come to his course. And we don't know who all it was. We don't know believers, unbelievers, whoever it was, Paul shared Jesus and taught Jesus to them. And it doesn't matter. His circumstances were not optimal, but his vocation was still needing to be carried out. And his vocation was to serve Jesus, preach Jesus, teach the kingdom of God. And he did that here in the city of Rome. Now, Acts ends somewhat abruptly, and it leaves us wondering, well, what happened next? <laughs> and sadly, we don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. Early church tradition is that Paul got out after those two years, uh, that he then traveled from Rome to Spain, as he wanted to do, did some ministry in Spain, came back this direction to the east. That's when he wrote First and Second Timothy and Titus. Uh, after that, uh, a few years later, and then eventually had a second imprisonment that was much worse, and that imprisonment ended with his death. That's what early church tradition tells us. But the book of Acts ends this way, with Paul in Rome for two years, preaching Jesus open and free and boldly right in the heart of empire. <laughs>